to the Hero Life show. Today we are really honored to have Richard Osborne join us to share his experience of being an AFL footballer as well as moving into the world of mental and emotional and physical support and just being a great advocate for mental health. So we're really honored to have you on the show, Richard. Thanks, Daniel, and uh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to have a chat with you as well. Oh, thank you so much. So I think it'd be really powerful just before we get into the work that you're doing right now. Tell us a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing, and almost to the point before you made your debut in the 80s, what was life like for you as a, as a youngster? Yeah, life as a youngster was full of sport, as it probably was for most kids growing up in the 60s, 70s, and into the early 80s as a, as a teenager. I'm, I've just turned 57, so youngest of three boys, grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, out Bulleen Way, so our, our sport of choice back in those days was uh, you know, basketball most of the year round, and we really only had two choices, but uh, in those days was football in the winter months, Aussie rules football that is, and um, if, if you were that way inclined, you'd play cricket in the summer months, which we did as well, so yeah, always fairly, fairly competitive, having two older brothers that were heavily involved in junior sport as well. So, yeah, it was, it was good fun times. And did you have great support for your sporting abilities when you were growing up? What was the, what your parents up to? What were they like and how did they support you? Yeah, mum, mum and dad were incredible in that regard for, for all three boys. Uh, no matter where we played, they'd they'd been having three kids of varying age groups, dad, dad and mum were always in the car going from football match to football match. It wasn't that often that we played in the same team together. So mm. uh, there's a fair few kilometres um, travelled back in the day. And also, particularly with the basketball as well, we, we played state basketball and championship basketball. Friday night, you could be anywhere in Melbourne and uh, weekends as well. So, and interstate tournaments. So there was, yeah, there was a, a lot of support from mum and dad. Um, and also throughout my VFL, AFL career as well. They were always there for me. Amazing. Yeah, we're really lucky to have great parents who are available to take us around. Absolutely. We're youngsters getting out there, just trying to you know, enjoy our, our life and the sport that we play and they're just always available for us. So has that translated also for you being a dad to three kids? Is that uh, the life you were, you were living and supporting with them? Yeah, look, my, my son was fairly heavily involved in, in basketball as well and then, then uh, soccer. So we spent, spent quite a few uh, weeknights watching him train and, and play over weekends. So I really enjoyed that as well. And just, I was just passing on the, the gift, I guess, that my parents gave me onto my, my son and my, my daughter, daughters as well. Um, the older one, Celeste, she loves playing netball. Um, quite an accomplished netballer as well. So... She, she loves the sport and Charlie, she'll just have a go at anything, tennis lessons, ballet, <laughs> you name it, she'll be involved. So yeah, it's just good fun to be involved with the kids in that regard. Yeah, and you, you, you've picked up a really crucial point there, it's role modelling. So it's amazing that your kids have got a great role model in you. And of course you had great role models in your parents. Um, so what was it like growing up with them? Um, you know, just in terms of day-to-day -day life, 
um, you know, opening up about challenges in your life? Was it a very open household, very communicative? How was that for you? When I was when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Look, we're we're talking growing up in the sixties and seventies. Emotions and feelings were just shut, were shut shut shop, and you just never spoke about it. So. Um, I think if we had our time again, it, w- it wouldn't be the way it, it should be. But thankfully, we've learned a lot from from those times. And even though there's still that stigma out there in regard to mental health, no, I think we're kidding ourselves if we say that's gone away completely. But mm. we've certainly come a long way since the 70s, that's for sure. So I'm, I'm pretty happy to say that. Mm, yeah. And so, and, and role modelling in the VFL, AFL system, obviously you're a young man when you made your debut in the early 80s. Um, you know, what was the, the scene like there playing in a, you know, heavily, obviously, male-dominated uh, industry? Um, what was it like there with role models about supporting you with mental health, with physical health, with emotional health? Uh, what was it like growing up and spending your days in that kind of environment? Yeah, I think uh, the role modelling was more in a physical sense, you know, te- teaching you guys, younger guys, how to, how to train to the optimum in regard to emotional support and um, mental wellness it just wasn't there again you don't know what you don't know so you know I'm not critical of, of clubs back in that day it just wasn't a focus of theirs and they weren't aware of it or didn't know anything about it so uh, they weren't at fault uh, we weren't at fault um, thankfully the industry's changed completely these days and current players have that support mm-hmm. And what was it like for you, obviously, uh, being a young man and kind of navigating that scene, um, obviously being a popular player and uh, being out and about in a social scene as well. Uh, what was going on for you internally? Obviously, there's a lot of great things happening outside of yourself and a lot of praise being thrown on you. But what was going on in your inner world? Yeah, look, it was tough. Look, I can still remember, and again, this it's not a poor me, poor me scenario here, but if we're talking mental wellness, we've got, we've got to be open about it. I remember the, it all probably started getting a bit too much when I was drafted to go up to the Sydney Swans. And, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy of 29 years of age living in Bronte, overlooking the surf. I could look out my bedroom window. I've got a surfboard in, in, in my house or apartment in those days, wetsuit. And I, I could virtually walk a few hundred metres on, on out in the surf of Bronte. But I spent most of my, my days when I was up at the Swans in bed, crying, uh, couldn't get out of bed. Um, obviously, I, I had to get it all together for game day. And thankfully, I could, I could do that. But yeah, it's pretty, some pretty ordinary times. And, you know, it's just, it's just important that we know that there's support out there, whether it be from family, friends or, or professionals in the field. Uh, it's just important to get to get that help and that support. So mm. if you don't, it, it, it can certainly spiral out of control fairly quickly. So mm. no matter what that support is, um, you know, initially just talking about it is a, is a great support mechanism. And if you need any further help beyond that, uh, I'd encourage people to, to seek it out. Mm, sure. And I mean, when you were sharing about being in that apartment and, um, and being in bed, like what, what was the inner dialogue that was going on? What, what were the struggles? Oh, I, d- I suppose it didn't really make a lot of sense at the time. And, you know, you speak to mates about it now and they, they think, you know, you'd, you'd be the last person I would have thought mm. would have struggled with your mental, mental health because uh, I think Darren Kapler put it fairly succinct recently we were speaking about it, and he said, look, the, the general public sees us with the, the cute blonde uh, under our arms at the Brownlow Medal and 
we're, you know, we're superstar footballers, whatever you, want, whatever you want to call us. And we don't have, we don't have uh, a problem in the world, but you know, just because we play an elite sport doesn't mean that we don't have our own struggles. And I think a, a lot of, um, whether it be rock stars or, or personalities in, in general, whether it be in sport, in the sporting endeavor or um, Hollywood, whatever it may be, just because you've got millions of dollars in the bank and you're living the life of a rock star doesn't mean you, you don't have those, those internal demons to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people will be relieved to hear that from someone like yourself because you're right. I think people put um, rock stars, sporting stars on a pedestal feeling like they don't experience uh, what you're sharing. But of course, we're all just human beings. And so we can all experience the wild variety of emotions and thoughts and bodily sensations and the importance of breaking down those barriers and that stigma helps everyone. So uh, I applaud you for getting out there and sharing your experience. Yeah, no, I think it's it's key that uh, we need to realise we're not bulletproof. Um, just to take small steps on a daily basis to to um, enhance your mental wellness is, is key. Yeah, it's a great approach. And so, I mean, you moved to Sydney. Uh, you said you were 29. Uh, what was, you know, moving into your 30s and into your 40s, obviously saying you're 57 now. Tell me about that period for you. Where were you, where were you living? Where were you playing? And obviously the transition outside of uh, AFL into, you know, living day-to-day life. What was that like? Yeah, well, look, History shows that I, after Sydney, I spent three years at the you know, Footscray slash Western Bulldogs. There was a name change whilst I was there, actually. Mm. And then a couple of years at Collingwood. So retired at a fairly fairly old age for, for an AFL footballer. Started at 17 and finished at 34. So it wasn't as if I was um, still wanting to play the game. My body was shot after all those years of banging it around and um, retired at a... Um, fairly old age at age 34 and I suppose you don't really think about it when you when you retire and and move into having to find a real job at um, your, your whole adult life your, your identity is as a as a footballer and it's whether you like it or not it's it's not a normal life you know people people do put you up on a bit of a pedestal and that's something I was never comfortable with uh, I'm probably more comfortable with it now because it probably doesn't happen that, that often anymore but it, it's a weird life and you know when when you have to start fending for yourself fending for yourself and you know find your own job and and create a future for yourself it is it is very challenging and you know we, we didn't have that sort of support mechanism from clubs when, when you retire you you're gone and you know ne- never to be seen again so to speak so wasn't wasn't ideal but you know th- thankfully the support mechanisms are in place now for for current AFL footballers, they've got a lot, a lot of support through the AFL Players Association, as as do um, us retired footballers as well. So, certainly, industry the industry's learnt a lot from the past and has, and has grown um, substantially and so professionally uh, in more recent years. Mm, yeah, I can imagine the transition from being. Um just heavily lauded for the work that you do. And then all of a sudden it's just like, you know, evolving into something where you're no longer seen in that light and uh, possibly like yesterday's news. Um, How how did that feel? Like uh, what was that like down the street uh, when you were going out? Was there interest and engagement with you? 
um, obviously when you were doing business as well and moving into other careers, you know, what was people's reaction to you? Look, I think people always like talking about football. So if you've spent that long in the game, you're always going to be related to as either a footballer or an ex-footballer. So even even these days, people will come up and, and want to talk about football. And, you know, I, I still love the game and I spent my whole adult life up until 34 playing the game. So, um, yeah, look, I, I was never comfortable with being treated like a, a rock star, so to speak. So that that's certainly one area that I, I don't miss. Um, uh, quite often in my, my early years when I first started playing football, I still vividly remember going to the shop, local shopping centre in Doncaster, um, Doncaster shopping town, and people would start recognising you. And just, I couldn't get out of the place quick enough. So mm. it was almost almost like a form of a panic attack, I guess. I just didn't mm. like being recognised. Uh, as you get older, you, you understand that just comes with the territory and life goes on. But yeah, early days, it was, was difficult to deal with. Mm. And, and I think have, also ha- having those underlying mental health issues probably didn't help either because you, you, you weren't aware of what they are. I remember recently, well, probably in the last couple of years, speaking to a, a psych that's involved with the, the Players Association. He said the, the challenging thing for guys that have these issues is that the sporting arena is probably the most um, anxious environment that you, that you can live live through because... You know, you're always judged on your performance. You're always worried about getting a game the following week. So the anxiety levels are through the roof for everyone involved in that area and, and uh, twofold for people that do suffer in certain um, areas of their life. So, yeah, it's a bit of a dual-edged sword, but that's the way it was and we got through it. Mm, yeah, amazing. So right now, you know, based on your experience and what you understand, there's great support in place for, you know, mental and emotional well-being at the, at the AFL level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even for past players, if, if, if we need to seek out help and through psychologists and psychiatrists, um, they're only a phone call away, so, which is great because I know a lot, of, a lot of past players still suffer these days. And uh, if, if they were just in the general community, they may not have, have that support structure around them to, to be able to seek out that help. So mm. it's fantastic that the association can do that for the players, past and present. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've obviously become more vocal in sharing your experience. Was there a catalyst moment for you in the last years where you just felt like I need to share, I need to open up because it's, you know, the, the suffering that's going on internally is just too overwhelming. Was there a moment there for you where you just felt like I needed to get it out? Um, probably more so in the last 12 months. For years now, I've been wanting to share my story and but. I think it's the, the main thing that held me back was just the stigma behind it. And you, you, you often, you were just too concerned about what people would think, you know, they'd look at you differently, you know, that you were a freak, there's something wrong with you. But the more people that came out and, and spoke about their own challenges, you just thought, well, um, maybe it's, maybe it's time to, to have to have a chat about the, the challenges I went through myself, myself. And, uh, a guy called Richard Maloney started a, a Facebook page probably 12 months ago now or, or thereabouts during lockdown called Blokes United with, with Barry Hall and Sean Higgins. And I started listening to a few of the, the live chats they were having on that within that group. And I just felt quite comfortable and, and got in contact with Rich and said, look, I'd, I'd like to tell my story. 
And that's funny, even up until the night before, I, I felt a bit anxious about it. And um, I remember driving into work that, that day and had a bit of a tear. And I thought, well, you know, thank, I'm ready for this. I, I, I need to tell my story. And it might sound a little bit selfish, but I need, this, I need to tell the story for my own well-being as well. And oddly enough, if one piece of advice I can give people out there that haven't shared their story or haven't told anyone what issues they're going through, the quicker you do it, the quicker you will heal. It was just incredible. The, the instant relief that, that I felt from just telling people what I'd gone through over you know, a 30 or 40 year period, um, I felt instant relief. It was just incredible mm. and well, well worth it. Mm. And so just to give people a sense of what it was that you were going through, is there like a bit of a snapshot you can share about what it was that you were challenged by or suffering from over the th past 30 to 40 years? Yeah, I think it was just more the, the story I was telling myself in my head. And, you know, I, I just, I just lacked energy. Not, obviously not, not that often when I was out on the sporting field, uh, you know, there obviously was days when I struggled out there as well, which is a real, a real challenge in itself. But yeah, just that, that inability to get up off the couch and, and be motivated to do anything. It, it can, mental health can be a real um, debilita debilitating. It, you know, that, the difference between the two is, you know, when we've got physical ailments, we can actually see, you know, someone's got their arm in a sling or they've got a plaster cast on their leg. So you can see the problem, but with mental health, it can be a real, a real, uh, a real challenge because there's not, it doesn't have that, that physical uh, outward element about it. Mm. And so obviously like the last 12 months being out there and being a bit more vocal, you've probably learned some tools and tactics that have supported you just to get comfortable with what's going on in your inner world. But before that, what were some of the things that you used to, to support yourself with, you know, feeling anxious or a sense of panic or, you know, whatever it else was being displayed? Like what kind of tools did you use at that time? Unfortunately, I didn't have the tools, Daniel. So I just, I just lived the life of an emotional roller coaster. When it came on, it came on and I, I had no physical or mental tools to, to be able to deal with it. It was just a matter of, okay, this, this process is coming on again now and it, 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 will, uh, it will take its toll and it will move on. So yeah, unfortunately, I, I didn't have any tools in those days to any, no, no coping mechanisms, no, no anything. It's just, just a matter of uh, hold on brother and <laughs> hope for the best and you'll come out the other end. Mm, yeah, that must have been a challenging period for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, as much as you don't want to suffer yourself, you, you know, there is that old saying, what doesn't break you makes you stronger. So I think ultimately, you know, it nearly broke me. Uh, there was a lot of times there where, where it just, just bashes the, the, the brains out of you. It's, it's, it's not a good thing, but uh, thankfully you, you meet some good people along the way and you start to develop some, some tools and, and coping strategies and really understand that you, you've got two choices. You either let your mental health control you or you control your mental health. And having said that, I do understand that there, there is a, a small percentage of the population out there that suffer from chemical imbalances and, and need to be on medication. But, but I think there is a large majority of, of the population that if they did have the correct uh, coping strategies in place, 
their their mental wellness wouldn't spiral out of control as quickly as it can because you keep telling yourself that story over and over and over again it's just just like repetition all of a sudden you can start spiraling out of control and start to get those panic attacks and and go into into a depressive state but if you've got that ability to control what what's going on between your your ears I, f- I find that half the battle now is I've got those tools and I can I can stop it in a track in its track before it gets anywhere near a, a panic attack or a depressive state. Mm. So take us then to like twelve months ago when you were ready to share um, and open up about what life was like over those last thirty to forty years. Who were you speaking to? What was the experience like? And w- what happened since then? Well, the the people I spoke to it was a. a similar to yourself now it was over a zoom call to to richard maloney who's the ceo of quality mind global he was running uh, blokes united so it was just a, a zoom call um because i was at work it had to be pre-recorded and i think darren kapler had, had done one the, the week before so he he probably shamed me into say um to uh putting my hand up and saying well caps has told his story about his challenges um i need to man up and tell mine too so yeah, that was probably a good 12 months ago now. And then since then, in terms of your own evolution of just being comfortable, being at ease, knowing you've got the tools, knowing that you can allow things to pass on by, you know, where have you, what are the tactics that have worked for you? What are the tools that have helped? And, and what's your experience now like to, you know, just being okay with, you know, whatever's going on in the content of your mind? Yeah, I think that the, the main, and again, without uh, fear of repeating myself, the main tool I've picked up on is the ability to control your own thoughts. Um, I know it might sound basic, but it's so powerful because we, we can be our thoughts. You know, if we, if we keep telling ourselves all day, every day that we're useless and we're a piece of crap and we're this and we're that and just negativity, 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 it, it's going to change your mood. It's going to change the way you look at your stuff. It's going to change. It's got the ability to change your own personality. So that's the, that's the one key that I've picked up on is if I can control what's going on in my head, it, it has a, a massive impact on my mental health and, and, and my physical health as well, because you won't, you won't have those, um, those feelings of anxiety and, and depression. And so then what are the benefits that have come about, you know, in your, in your, a family life, professional life, and just day-to-day life, knowing now that you can just be at ease and just be comfortable now? Well, I, th- I think um, I just haven't had those episodes of just lying on the couch all day, every day. Um, you know, God, if I, if I had a dollar for every time I'd, I was on the couch and just wanting to sleep all day long, all day, every day, I'd be a rich man. So, mm. you know, I've just, I've just got more physical energy to, to do what I want to do during the day which which is um it's great it's mm. great it's a it's the best i've felt in a long long time mm. and knowing knowing that i'm in, in control of it myself that that's uh, that's powerful mm. yeah it really is and i mean there's nothing like supporting others through our own experience of you know navigating challenging times so so what's the work that you're up to at the moment and how's that benefiting other people yeah, I, I run online courses through through a company called Quality Mind Global. Um, the current course I'm doing at the moment is um, it's all done via Zoom, which is I suppose the uh, one one good thing about uh, the COVID situation is that we've we've all now got used to doing business online. 
uh, whereas maybe 12 to 12 months to two years ago, I wouldn't have even heard of Zoom. So um, yeah, we run the run these courses online. Um, a, lo a lot of it's um, to do with positive psychology, um, NLP, um, all these types of um, psychologies, and it's it's just all about controlling controlling your thoughts. And again, you know, it's there's a little bit more involved than just that. Um, Probably a chat for another day, but uh, Quality in Mind have also um, they've got an, an app that they use as well. So it's almost like a form of hypnosis. It's, there's no use just doing a course and just um, writing down a lot of notes about what what we're covering, unless you change your subconscious mind or, or change what what story you're telling yourself on a daily basis. You're not going to change, and that's why you know, people go go to these self-help seminars or they might read a book but the problem is it's more about knowledge jumping than anything else but if, if you don't have that ability to change what's the history shows or, or science shows that we have between 70 and 90,000 thoughts a day and the majority of them are just regurgitated from the day before so if your thoughts on a daily basis are I'm no good I'm worthless I'm no good I'm no good I'm no good you repeat it the next day and the next day and the next day. And unless you have the tools and the ability to change those thoughts, your past is going to become your, your present and your future. So in a nutshell, that's that's what the course is all about. It's, it's, it delves a little bit deeper than just knowledge jump, knowledge jumping. And this, this app is, is uh, almost like a form of hypnosis where you just check into your thoughts you know, 10, 20, 30 times a day and, and record them in this app. And if there are negative thoughts, you swap them over to positive thoughts and as basic as, basic as that may sound it's very very effective when you gain momentum mm. and, and the demographic of people that are showing up to these courses what what are the ages what are the backgrounds and and is the impact you know really benefiting everyone that gets involved uh the demographic i'm finding so far is quite diverse uh, the youngest uh, mid-20s I guess and anywhere up to mid-50s and, and both both male and female so we've got a good good uh, good variety of sexes and, and age groups so it's um, fantastic and the, the encouraging thing about it is one of the guys I got in the course at the moment he was probably the most reluctant of all to to get involved because he'd done a lot of self-help courses over the years and even even after five days he's He's blown away on, on how much this is this is helping him. It's given it's given him a bit of direction in his life because he was getting a little bit uh, demotivated, so to speak. So he's probably my number one student at the moment. I'm really happy too because uh, I knew I thought he may have been a bit of a challenge, but he's, uh, he hasn't been at all. Yeah, that sounds profound and amazing. And <laughs> so what then? You know, you've got three kids. Um, I'm sure they adore you and love you. Um, you know, how, how is the relationship with them now? Obviously, you've come out the other side of a really challenging period. Um, you know, what, what's your relationship like with them? What's their openness like to you? Yeah, no, relationship's pretty good. Like, for the most part, they they didn't really have a father as a role model because, you know, I was basically in bed all the time. Uh, and and Natalie, um, she was she was tasked to pick up the pieces i guess so you know in the in the perfect world i wasn't a good role model but that was through no fault of my own and yeah i think what inspired me the most 
to get involved at this level in regard to mental wellness is to just play for the gift that's been given to me. And if I can just help one person, you know, even if it's just one person, help them not go through the pain and suffering that I went through over a very, very long journey, uh, I'm a happy man. Mm, that's powerful. All right. Thank you so much, Richard, for your time. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Um, the work no problems, Daniel. Now, yeah, the work you're doing now is really important. And the man that you are, the human being that you are sharing your story, I know it's going to impact a lot of people. And ultimately, all we want is people to just be light, happy, comfortable. Um, even though there is suffering going on, there are challenges being faced by everyone to have great support and to have great leaders like yourself out there sharing your experience just puts people in a place where they can see that someone else is also going through something similar to me. And that's what we need more and more out there in the world. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. I think, as you said, unless we live in a cave, we're, we're always going to have challenges and things are going to come up in life. But if we've got the tools and the ability to minimise the impact, uh, I think that's key. No, there's always going to be something that comes up in our life, you know, whether it be a death in the family or, or, or something like that that's really going to beat us, beat us around. But it's just a matter of trying to minimise the uh, emotional roller coaster that our lives can become at times. Yeah, brilliant. It's a perfect place to, to leave it. Thank you so much for your time, Richard, and thanks everyone for joining. Look forward to seeing you all again soon. Take care. Thank you.